you can't be a good coach and be bad at communication. You got to be able to communicate your ideas and what what you're trying to achieve with with the athletes, and so they have a clear understanding of what what they're trying to do in each session. The Triathlon Show 161. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, a 24th of December Christmas Eve edition. This is the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com, and I'm your host, Michael. Today's episode is an interview with James Teagle, who is an elite triathlete who has participated at uh, several various world and European championships uh, from senior to junior level. He trains at the Loughborough Triathlon Performance Center alongside athletes like Jody Stimson and a bunch of other top GB athletes. And he's also a coach and uh, has coached triathletes and swimmers locally for several years. Very importantly for today's episode, he is also a coach for Scientific Triathlon. So he is my coaching partner, uh, if you will, and has been since uh, early 2018, uh, although it hasn't been public until now, and December 2018. Uh, so we have just met actually in London. We spent a couple of days there really just discussing coaching our principles and and core coaching values and uh, basically aligning those and and some of our processes as well uh, so so after this great meeting we are ready to make it public and uh, James details will now be on the coaching page on scientifictriathlon.com so you can check out his coaching profile there after the interview, I'll talk a little bit more about what this means for you if you're interested in coaching and in the interview itself, we discuss the training that James does at uh, the Loughborough Triathlon Performance Center, what it takes to be an elite triathlete, what does a typical week look like. And of course, we discuss coaching, his and my coaching philosophies. We jam quite a lot on that. And we get into some advice, quickfire advice for how to improve your swimming, biking, running, race day execution, and overall as an age group triathlete. And probably a lot of other things that I forget already that we discussed in the interview. But we'll get right into it after thanking our sponsors. First, big thank you to Stack that you can find on stackzero.com. That's S-T-A-C, zero spelled out, dot com. They make the world's quietest indoor bike trainers. They use magnets instead of uh, resistance flywheels. So there's no wear and tear on the tire and the bike. And you can fold them really nicely. They, they stack up really low. So you can, for example, store them under your bed when you are not training. Really great piece of equipment comes in several different models. The base model, which is the most affordable. Then we have the power meter model with a built-in power meter. And the Halcyon, which is their smart trainer model that won the Eurobike 2018 award for the best bike training accessory. Check it out on stackzero.com and use the promo code Show, all one word, all caps, for 20% off. And a big thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Uh, make sure if you are in the EU or the UK that you click the, the banner in the top of, at the top of the website where you can select which region you are shopping in. So you select the right region. That way you won't incur any customs or duties when you order from Roka. They now ship from the UK, which is great news for all of us here in Europe. And you can check out their wetsuits. For example, the Maverick X Pro is uh, like the spaceship of wetsuits, I like to call it. And of course, check out their products like the buoyancy shorts, goggles, sunglasses. Everything is built for high performance. Find faster is their hashtag, so you know what they're after. Uh, the tri suit is another example of uh, great gains. It's uh, really aerodynamics. Just when you touch the fabric, you you can feel that there's a lot of research and development that has gone into creating that tri suit. Find them on roca.com and uh, click through to your regional website and use the promo code that triathlon show all one word all caps for twenty percent off your entire order. If you are late with Christmas gifts, perhaps you can you can get one just in time for a bit of a late Christmas gift for your loved ones. All right, with that said, let's get into the interview with James Teagle. 
So, James, welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, obviously, as usual, great to speak to you. Yeah, and uh, you're very familiar with with the show, of course, with uh, having been involved with it uh, on uh, behind the scenes, so to say. But uh, but I'm very happy to be interviewing you now, and let's uh, dig into your own triathlon career and your coaching career as well. If we start about uh, uh, start with your triathlon career, where are you? What's what's it like currently? Where are you at? And uh, and how did you get into it uh, in the first place? Okay, well, you'll have, you'll have to stop me if I'm uh, blabbering on too much. But um, So, yeah, I currently live in Loughborough and train with the uh, Loughborough Triathlon Performance Centre. So that's the, the British squad and university squad uh, trained together alongside some of the power triathlon athletes as well. Um, currently, race-wise, I race World Cups. So that's the level just below uh, WTS. So you have to race World Cups to get into World, the World Triathlon Series. For, yeah, for uh, World Tra- yeah, World Triathlon Series, yeah. And uh, Continental Cups. So that would be the European... Continental Cup, so they have a race in, say, Hungary, you go to Hungary and you race against some of the best in Europe, and then it moves around the circuit around Europe. Uh, that is basically just to qualify for big championships and to get points. Uh, so my, my main aims are to race championships. So I have raced uh, European championships before, so I've raced uh, European Senior Championships, I mean by that, and under-23 European Championships, as well as when I was a junior, I was racing those championships as well. I mean, they're really cool experiences, amazing, uh, you know, really competitive against the best in the world. Um, but that's what I'm, that's currently what I'm trying to do is get to that top level. And I'm currently on the pathway up there. I'm not quite there yet. In, in 2018, I was the British silver medalist at the British Championship. So, and, um, in 2017, I was racing at, uh, European and 23s and winning gold medals in the relay and so on. Um, so slowly, slowly getting there. Do you have a favorite moment from your racing career when you have uh, perhaps been uh, riding or swimming alongside one of the really big names in the sport, Some, something that comes to mind? Uh, well, I don't know if it's a favorite moment, but I was in Madrid World Cup and uh, Christian Blumenfeld was on the front of a, uh, of a pack and uh, three, Spanish, three uh, French guys went up the road and attacked. And it, must have, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, uh, trying to stick on Blumenfeld's wheel for, I think it was six laps of Madrid, uh, this course up a hill. Down again, up a hill, down again. Um, yeah, it was amazing, but it was, it was incredibly, uh, incredibly tough. That that was probably one of the uh, one of the best moments in my career. Uh, luckily, I ran off okay, just because I'm a bit lighter than everyone else, um, and I think everyone else blew up blew up a bit because of the effort. But um, yeah, that'll probably one. That's a highlight of my career, and because of how well I did in that race as well. Yeah, and uh, looking at what Blumenfeld is currently doing, I guess yeah. you saw his seventy foot free result in uh, recently in uh, in Bahrain, <laughs> setting the world record and everything. That's uh, that, that's one yes. of the big names in the sport for sure. Yeah. So uh, definitely see see that being being a highlight. Tell us about your your background. How how did you get into triathlon? What's your athletic uh, career been like, and what what's led you to where you are today? So uh, the first thing you should know about me is I'm incredibly competitive. And uh, I just love racing. So even when I was at swim school, I was racing and I was one of those kids that the teacher kept telling off because, you know, you're racing, you're not doing the drills properly. You just want to win, uh, even though it wasn't obviously a race. Um, I started out as a swimmer from swim school, went to Loughborough Town Swimming Club and uh, quickly progressed on to, you know, the county squad, which was sit, uh, based at City of Leicester. So at the age of nine, I was swimming 10, 10, 10 times a week, um, you know, 16 hours a week worth of swimming uh until until i was 16 really and uh racing in nationals and national competitions uh so that was where you know as a kid i was always focused on my sport um as you know and i grew up with that it was you know very disciplined good at time management but especially very competitive around sport and to be honest it's all i thought about was sport um yeah when i when i was 16 i um I failed to get my 200 meters breaststroke national time, having to been to nationals uh, the year before and uh, winning, you know, not winning. Uh, I didn't win. Uh, getting into the national final. So that was a big heartbreak. Um, I just failed to get it. And, you know, um, you know, it just sets you back a lot when you're that age. You know, you, you, you're there in the pool every day. You're doing, you're doing what you can. You know, your parents are there at, you know, four o'clock, four or five o'clock in the morning. They're getting up at four, taking something, start at five. And, you know, it's just, it's just massive. It's a massive heartbreak when you don't do something like that when you've been training so hard. Um, so yeah, um, unfortunately, the story of how I got into triathlon is quite a sad one. So 
one of the girls at my club actually had a heart attack in the pool and died. And one of the things we were doing to raise money and awareness of that was uh, a, a charity triathlon at Loughborough University. So I went and did a charity triathlon and ended up winning it and thinking, oh, this, this is something you know I could be good at, I'd, I'd like to do. And I see it on TV and I'm like, well, that was awesome. I'd, I'd love to do that. So um, I quickly started progressing into it. I mean, I was terrible on the bike and I was terrible at running. But luckily, I had the fitness from my swim career. Uh, all those years just swimming so you know I quickly progressed and I went down to Leicester Triathlon Club and you know they got some great coaches got down there <laughs> just really enjoyed it competitive atmosphere I mean the head coach was someone who reminded me of uh, Jack Sparrow out of Parts of the Caribbean it was absolutely crazy and uh, the other coach was Marine so it was, it was just mental uh, one, one of the one of the memories I got is that is you know I'd never really ridden a bike before and I think maybe a month and a half of riding a bike. We went to the Alps and we uh, rode up out the west. And, you know, I was all right on the way up. I think, I think you know, I did pretty well. We, we timed it, and I, you know, about 52 minutes, I think I did it. But uh, on the way down, we decided to race as well. And having never really, you know, not really having that much experience on the bike, that was absolutely petrifying. Uh, 21 switchbacks. And, I mean, the uh, the ex-Marine, he, he broke his, uh, he fell off his bike and broke his, uh, broke his ribs. Uh, descending that and um you know i was just clinging on to my brakes and you know probably had no brakes left at the end but just just things like that just uh being really competitive but having fun and you know um you know probably taking a few too many risks but you know i really enjoyed it from there i got onto the uh you know after doing a few races i got onto the uh east Winds academy which is a junior setup uh so in Bristol we have a junior setup where each region has an academy you know, the best athletes in the region and they feed on to the national squads. So I got into East Midlands Academy and, you know, I was taking it pretty serious at that point. Um, and, you know, the big thing with that age is trying to qualify for youth relays. So the first time I qualified, I tried to qualify for youth relays, I actually crashed and you know, I hold my hands up. It, it was my fault. Um, but the sad thing was, and the chances of it were that the, the team who actually qualified, uh, I was working at lifeguard at the time and they actually came down to the pool um the whole team who had qualified were actually just training in that pool for, ready for the race and I, I was a lifeguard with uh still the fresh wounds on I mean what are the chances of that but uh, <laughs> that was pretty it was pretty sad and uh you know but I vowed next year that you know I'd, I'd try again and uh luckily I did I did pretty well the following year and I qualified and that was my first international competition um from there things just just you know continue to improve and after doing some lab testing I was invited along to Loughborough University to train the squad. And uh, to be honest, that's where it begins. So I went to university at Loughborough having already been on the squad. So I selected my university off the training environment, which I don't know if that's a smart thing to do, but um, I was like, well, the training here is awesome. So I'll do a degree here. And I did a degree in sports science um, at, at Loughborough University. So, you know, there's, there's worse degrees to do <laughs> and worse places to do it. Uh, but yeah, the last, the last four years have just been four or five years actually we've just been you know working my way up so from so I qualified for junior worlds from junior worlds at start of uh, Loughborough University I started when I started training with Loughborough all the way up to where I am now racing seniors in world cups and hopefully uh, going further on um, but yeah just training with the ALCPC in Loughborough is absolutely amazing and the equipment and just the time and you know the knowledge that we that the coaches have and the staff have the physiologists have is, is just amazing and it's a really special place to be hopefully i can get the most out of it you know yeah it, i, ima- I imagine that it's it's an environment where from which you can just really every day you can absorb so much knowledge and uh, and learn so much about yourself uh, as an athlete and and in general about triathlon yeah. what's the what, what's the squad like how many people are involved in it how do you train together all the time or do you mix it up uh, what and the who are some athletes that we may know of that you have been training with? So Loughborough University and British Triathlon have a partnership uh, to create the Loughborough Triathlon Performance Centre. And essentially, I think it's the world's only integrated um, triathlon squad. So we have the power triathletes and the world-class athletes training together. So some of the guys I train with, uh, you might have heard of them, like Jody Stimson, Sophie Coldwell, uh, Adam Bowdens was down there. Um Tim Don's down there currently. Will Clark uh, comes swimming. So yeah, that that kind of caliber of athlete, and it's it's just amazing uh, being surrounded by that much talent and that much knowledge. Uh, the things you learn from from people like that and from the coaches, you know, you know, 
it's just it's an invaluable it's first-hand experience top-end sport and you know everything that goes along with that and and how you have you found that your degree in sports science that that also helps you uh, in your training somehow yeah my degree in sports science definitely definitely helps me inform my training and you know inform the coaching that i do because you know i haven't mentioned that yet but uh for the last year and a half i've actually been coaching um you know decent level athletes you know at a swimming club and uh with you uh for your for your platform um so you know that definitely helps with that but to be honest where i draw most of my experience from is is what i say is the people i've met and you know the environment that i've been in because that first-hand knowledge you know the people you come across the, the knowledge you know is second to none and you just can't learn it out of a degree i think you've got to go and you got to go and experience it Because a degree can t- teach you so much. It teaches you, you know, the basics on the paper, but actually applying it to real life—that—that's what's important, and that's what uh, being in that environment and you know having access to all these people has taught me. Yeah. Do, do you have some example that springs to mind on something that you have just learned from being being inv- involved with those people? So, something that that, ha- that has changed in in the way you train or race or whatever it may be. Uh, just just from seeing and and uh, imitating what the others are doing that have been there and done that i think the thing that stands out most to me is is very simple is just consistency is that if you believe you know if you believe your program and what you're doing is going to work for you and you know it's got to have some some backing it's got to have some you know you can't just come up with anything like oh i want to go do an ironman so i'm going to do sprint sessions i mean obviously not that but if you believe in in what you're doing and you stick to it and you consistently stick to it the thing that i most picked up it i have picked up the most is you know if you you're consistent it will work for you so you just got to be consistent with what you're doing and if you believe in it and if you're dedicated enough you can make it work yeah and and i think that usually if uh, if the whatever program you're doing if it's a program that allows you to be consistent then then it's the right program for you there's no one right program but something that no. allows an athlete to be consistent that uh, that may be one of the right programs for for that particular athlete yes definitely but, so, but, but uh but not like so if you if yeah it's consistent for you and individualized but stick to it don't don't yeah. differ don't don't look what, what other people are doing so from the people that I've been around you know they don't look at what other people are doing they know what what they're doing is is right for them and they stick to it they don't worry about what other other athletes are doing or other coaches yeah. are doing and and that's something that that I sometimes feel bad about with this podcast that uh, of course it's great to be able to introduce the listeners to many many different viewpoints and perspectives from great coaches and great athletes at the same time I I hope that uh, that people take that as just uh information that they may or may not apply because you can't do everything yeah. because then you'll just end up jumping from one shiny object to the next not shiny objects necessarily because yeah. we try to avoid that here but jumping from from one one id to the next and, and you need to you need you need to choose something that you follow something that you believe in and, and then stick to that as you say i completely agree so yeah obviously you know from the podcast you get a lot of information and you know a lot of it is is really good information but Yeah, like you say, not being reactionary to it. So don't don't react to it and like, oh, the next following week I've got to apply that to my training. You know, actually, think about it and have a plan. Sit down. You know, if you've got an annual plan, that's when the t- that's the time to start thinking about these things. Until you come around and you know review what you're doing, which shouldn't be every week by no means. Um, then then you shouldn't really change what you're doing. You should just believe in what you're doing because yes. else you'll get nowhere. You'll be going around yes. in circles. I tend to always wait at least one month from when I have some sort of uh, influence of information, whether it's a very interesting podcast interview or, for example, last Saturday, actually, Brett Sutton was uh, in Portugal. He was uh, having a keynote here. There was uh, a favor to his uh, friend Sergio Santos, who is the the boss of the Portuguese Triathlon Coaches uh, Association here. So we were lucky enough to to hear Brett Sutton talk and uh, the whole day about coaching and and training, and it was really inspiring. But yeah. uh, I, I have this principle that I, I don't really do anything with any. I, all, I of course take notes and uh, and try to assimilate the information, but I don't do anything with it until at least one month has passed. Then I will revisit those notes that I took and start thinking about when I have the, the right distance to to that event and and then i start thinking about mm. okay w- which of these parts may i and uh, may i not start to, to potentially include in my coaching 
yeah, I think that, I think that's I think that's a really smart way of doing. And I completely agree with that because, like you say, you're not always just chasing the the, the shiny toy. You you know you don't go to the toy shop every week and choose a new, new toy. Uh, that kind of that kind of principle. You wouldn't go, oh, that bike's amazing. You know, I change my bike every week, or you know, the run shoes. So why would you train change what you're doing every yeah. week? So so what what does a typical training day and a and a typical training week look like for you? Uh, so if I go by by training week, so I tend to do five swim sessions a week. So one of them will be speed. One of them will be aerobic endurance. Uh, one of them will be CSS. One of them which is uh, your fifteen hundred meter pace. So trying to trying to bring that on. Or uh, CSS equates to just above LT two. So um, trying to bring on your LT two, which is the pace you swim at in a race. And VO two, uh, which is four hundred meter pace, because uh, because of the kind of triathlon I do, it's drafting. It's very important you get around that first boy as quickly as you can and can recover off that because because if you get stuck in that pack then you're going to lose a lot of time so that's why we do the vo2 stuff and obviously a te- technique session because swimming is so limited by technique you can be the fittest athlete in the world but if your technique is awful you're, you're not going to be a very good swimmer and uh, each of those swim sessions is about 90 minutes in duration and about about four or five k in length uh so cycling cycling uh is around 12 to 14 hours per week depending on time of year uh this time of year it's a feature long tempo session so as as the main session of the week so we do a three-hour ride but within that we'll do anything from an hour to 90 minutes at lt1 which is around around the pace you'd cycle if you're going to cycle for three hours uh consistently uh and be absolutely shattered at the end of it and have nothing left uh that's just basically to increase the amount of fat burning capacity we have so if you want obviously as a triathlete you want to be as aerobic as possible for as long as possible you don't want to be burning carbohydrates because when you're on the bike you need to be ready for the run because the run is where the race is won or lost although obviously the bike has a massive influence on the race if you go too far into the red on the bike and you're burning too many carbohydrates there's no way you're going to run fast on the uh, on the run so you can't win the race or you know even do well so that long tempo ride is just about trying to bring up the fat burning capacity you have within you uh, so you can go for longer and use less carbohydrate stores, uh, especially in Olympic distance triathlon. Uh, we also do two uh, one-hour rides a week. So they're neuromuscular. So they're more like recovery rides, uh, you know, getting a bit of feel for the movement, you know, a uh, bit of technique, but basically just there to spin the legs out. And then we do a two-hour ride, and a three or four hour ride or two, three or four hour rides just for a basic aerobic conditioning. Because, because cycling is so low impact, you can get away with doing more volume and getting the aerobic conditioning out of it. Um, so, so right now that, 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 uh, that tempo run that you do, that's, uh, that's the, the quality session that you do uh, every week and, and the, the rest yep. is more easier, easier cycling. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, no, the, the one hour rides would be level one. So, really low heart rate, just recovery zone. Yeah. Um, longer rides are level two. So somewhere, you know, between between recovery and just below LT1, uh, you know, they're consistently, you know, you stay within that zone. You don't you don't go above that zone because as soon as you go above that zone, you start burning carbohydrates. And, you know, you start impacting on other sessions. As a triathlete, it's very important to think about other sessions as well. And within those sessions, it's very important that you feel correctly because if you don't feel correctly in those sessions, you know, you're really going to impact your swim sessions and your run sessions, uh, which, which you know, are often more intense. But yet they're, they're just there just to increase, again, your aerobic capacity so that when you, you're in a race, you got, you're basically uh, able to go for longer, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and do you train indoors mostly this, this time of year, in December as we're talking, or do you go outdoors as well on the weekends? And do you train uh, with a group on the bike, or is it mostly solo? Uh, so a lot of our sessions are group based. Um, so the, the session is definitely group based. Um, and we do train a lot outside because although British winter is, is not too nice, um, it's often not too cold either. So, well, I say not too cold. I mean, it's between zero and 10 degrees a lot of the time. Uh, if it's raining and three degrees, you ride indoors. If it's seven degrees and it's not running you're fine to ride outside as long as you've got the correct equipment and you know your bike is well maintained uh, a lot of that will be in groups because just because of the duration of a ride but no more than four in a group because 
you know, it is quite cold. And if you're stuck on the back of a group, even if the person on the front is going quite hard, you're going you're to be getting cold. So we, we tend to keep the group sizes down. But uh, yeah, for that reason, uh, we do a bit inside. So for example, if, if uh, you know, if we've been limited by time, then, you know, the more neuromuscular recovery rides will be inside, uh, you know, an hour on a, on the turbo. Um, but that's, that's about the limit of it. Obviously, because of the length of the rise, we tend to try and get outside if we can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and what about the run then? How, how does so the, the weekly run structure look? So running for me, um, at the end of last season, I was trying to go for European Duathlon champs. And I actually irritated my lateral meniscus. So it wasn't, wasn't a major injury, but it could have been a, become a major injury. So I had to really knock it down and let that recover. Uh, before that, I was running about 100k a week um, in, into that anyway. And, you know, I'm slowly working my way up back up to that. So at the moment, I'm doing an interval session and a speed session um, on a Tuesday. So that's just there just to, you know, it's basically a bit of a fart leg. So just a above and below threshold, trying to push on top end speed, but not really just trying to maintain fitness. If we, when we, when we get to some, we start really working on that. Uh, the main key session again is like a tempo session. So it's like a 60 minute uh, LT1 session around either a, a hilly park or or you know along a flat but you know it depends depends what you're trying to get out of the session it's either muscular or um just endurance based a long run and then and then some easy runs so as well so each day we run at least six, 30 to 60 minutes and um you know, that could be getting on seven and a half hours a week well it will be hopefully when i'm completely back running uh we also gym twice a week that's very important just to make sure ensure that we don't get injured and you know continue to be robust and can cope with the training so so you're training probably around about 30 hours per week or so in total yeah i think 30 30 is a big week uh yeah 25 to 30 30 hours a week definitely um especially this time of year it's just base mileage this time of year uh and getting in a few few key sessions but mainly just building up that base so that when it comes to race season you know because race season is so long nowadays that we can we can get through the whole season uh on the fitness we've acquired over winter really yeah. obviously we, we train hard in in the summer as well but disrupted by races so most of the base fitness comes now so so what's the difference if you give a quick overview of what uh, the week might look like then when you are in the thick of the race season uh, and how, especially what the differences will be compared to now so the difference is essentially the intensity goes up and the volume comes down slightly so the run sessions become slightly more intense. We start running more around LT2, so the tempo sessions come out. We start running around 10K, 5K pace, uh, really pushing on the, that LT2, uh, getting near. Uh, so we might do a VO2 max session to really try and improve our VO2 max if VO2 max is limiting our run performance. Because because we do lab testing, we know all this. Uh, we know all these details. Uh, cycling becomes, again, more intense, so we start doing more things like chain gangs or critical power sessions. So, you know, re- three minute real hard efforts, two minutes easy, and then there are three minute real hard effort, um, just rep- repetitively trying to push on uh, top end power, uh, as well as obviously some LT2 and LT1 stuff just to maintain that, that basic uh, fitness. And then the, the swimming, we we do switch to an open water session uh, to make it more race specific uh, instead of a V2 session, because obviously there's a whole new set of skills required for open water. You can be the greatest swimmer in the world, but uh, put you in open water and you can be absolutely terrible. Uh, so it's just, you know, trying to get those those group dynamics and trying to make sure you can swim in a group. Uh, obviously, the swimming becomes slightly faster as well and more more intense um, towards race season because of because of basically what you're trying to do in race right. season. Right, yep, yep. So uh, what, what will your 2019 look like in terms of uh, races and, uh, and goals? So to be honest... Um, I can't really tell you that much because I'm waiting on British Triathlon to bring you bring out their selection policies. Um, hopefully, they should be out by January. But my main aim is for is to qualify for Worlds um, as a, a, in the under twenty three category, but as an elite um, within that. Uh, the hardest thing about that, to be honest, will be the, the competitors I'm racing against as a British athlete because Britain is is obviously very good at triathlon. Uh, well, so, sorry. Um, you know, Britain is quite good at triathlon, and just the depth there is is quite quite high. So it's just trying to. It's actually the hardest. Obviously, you know, it's it's very hard to qualify for those races 
And obviously at the top end of those races, it's also very hard. But British triathlon selection policy is that you need to show that you can achieve a top 10 at Worlds. And, you know, the last three years I've, I've shown that and not, not been selected. Um, mm. So it's just trying to, trying to actually just beat all those other Brits and then uh, hopefully go to Worlds and do a good, do a good job of it. Uh, my second dream is to qualify for 70.3, or not qualify for 70.3, it's compete in 70.3 in a pro field. So that's something I've never done before. And because, because to be honest, I'm quite an aerobic athlete, it's something I'm quite looking forward to. I just, you know, it's a bit of a different challenge. And obviously, uh, other races I'll be doing, I have a Spanish and French team. So I'll be racing for a Spanish and French team in addition to some national races. Yeah, yeah. All right. So let's uh, shift gears a little bit and uh, talk about coaching because uh, yep. as I have mentioned in the intro, uh, you are a scientific triathlon coach and, and have been so for, for quite a while already. But uh, we're now making it uh, more of an official official thing in uh, in relation to this uh, podcast as well. So and we met in, in London last week to, to talk about a lot of these things that we will talk about today as well. And, and the first thing really and the most important thing that we that we discussed uh, is uh, our coaching core values and uh, yep. and what what would you say what are the most important core values for for you as a coach well i think uh, well i know when you're a coach that you know communication is is key, key and foremost i mean you can't be a good coach and be bad at communication you got to be able to communicate your ideas and what what you're trying to achieve with with the athletes and so they have a clear understanding of what what they're trying to do in each session and you know a clear understanding of how you work as an individual uh you've got to communicate with them to see how see how they're getting on i mean it's fine you setting them a session but they need to know you know how 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 it actually works and you need to know how they feel and how how they found it you know whether or not they think something needs to be tweaked or you know you might not agree with them but if they think something needs to be tweaked it's, it's worth trying to understand why they think that uh the second thing is that uh all sessions and you know as a coach You need to have a purpose behind everything you're doing. Uh, nothing can be, you know, just, you know, standard. So you can't just give out standard training plans or everything needs to be, you know, it's best if it's individual and specific to, an, to, to a person because no one is the same. And, you know, there's no point in doing someone else's training, like I mentioned earlier. It's, it needs to be purposeful. You need to have a purpose behind it. And third, my third coaching value is, It needs to be athlete first. So, you know, you've got to think of the athletes. The athletes have got to, you know, they are the key. They are the key thing in this. Um, so, you know, it's got to be athletes first and athlete welfare first. So the athletes got to be happy and they've got to understand what they're doing. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about uh, communication and, and uh, how how you think that that can look like in uh, especially now with uh, with online coaching as mm -hmm. we do uh, becoming more and more common how how do you think that that uh, how how are you working with uh, with online with communication in that sort of coach athlete relationship and and uh, yeah basically ex expand upon that a little bit so the way the online coaching works is you know there's several layers to it so the first is obviously we use training peaks so um, you know communicating sessions through training peaks, you know, putting the key sessions out and all the sessions out on training peaks and then just monitoring the sessions. So you see what they do, um, see what the important metrics are, what important metrics they're putting out, uh, whether their power was, was off or on, uh, whether the heart rate was a bit too high, that kind of thing. And, you know, just monitoring in general how the athletes feel. Uh, second, the second layer is, uh, WhatsApp or email or just any kind of messaging. So, you know, quick communication, uh, You know, daily need, daily catching needs and questions, you know, making sure the athlete knows that you're there for them and, you know, anything they need or any questions they have, you can help answer through that very quickly or, uh, you know, or, you know, have a repeated conversation. You know, the other one I use is uh, phone calls or Skype calls. So these are, you know, generally 30 to 45 minutes in length and it's basically just questions and guidance and explanations. So, you know, any questions the athletes have, you know, really going into depth what what the key reasons are behind they might be doing something the guidance um so you know showing athletes what they're doing and you know where they're going and explanations so you know explaining the core principles of what what a re what the reason they're doing this training is and you know why why they did it well or you know perhaps why they could possibly do it better you know uh any questions they have and you know they are really key and, and in depth so they form the main basis of everything And, you know, we go over the whole structure of plans there, you know, annual plans, uh, quarterly plans, micro cycles, 
all in those 30 to 45 minutes, but then it's all supplemented by the, the training peaks or the, uh, the messaging. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what, uh, what you say there about, uh, really making sure that the athlete understands why they're doing what they're doing having the communication about uh, the workouts and and the overall the big picture the the annual plan that's what uh, if we tie that into what you said earlier about as long as you can consistently stick to what you're doing and believe in it uh, as a coach our role is to make the athletes believe in in their plan and and when you have that communication you show to the athlete that you you actually care about them and you take an interest and you want them to succeed yeah. as much as they do. That, that's when, when the athlete can, can have that reassurance that what they're doing is, is the right thing for them, even though it's not the only right, right path to, to becoming a better athlete, but it's no. one right path and, and they can get that belief that they need to stick to it and be consistent. And, and that's why, why they improve at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean that's that's why my my three core principles are communication. That that training is purposeful, and you know athletes are first because yeah, because obviously purposefulness and athletes first feeds into communication, like you just said. So just just you know making sure the athlete understands what they're doing and you know is happy with what they're doing is you know and enjoying it. I mean enjoyment. Let's be honest, has to be the key thing behind it because you know triathlon is an endurance sport. And, you know it's tough, so the athletes have to enjoy what they're doing. And, you know, they can't be having a miserable time about it either. No, no that, that's, <laughs> that's definitely not sustainable. No. So, so when, when you mentioned the, the annual planning and, uh, and quarterly cycles and mi- microcycles, uh, tell us a bit more about how, uh, how you go about planning those different, uh, different layers. So when I first uh, meet an athlete, I tend to uh, sit them down and go, or, you know, through the internet on Skype, go, uh, go through an Excel document, which is basically swimming cycling running and other or gym and essentially i get into the list three things i need to improve on swimming three things i need to improve on cycling three things i need to and running and and so on um and then we look at what their aims are and we go okay which of these is the most important slash the weakest for you and <laughs> which of these do we prioritize first so you know if you're an ironman athlete and you know you're not particularly great on a bike but you know you've got a really good run and your swimming's, swimming's getting there, then obviously, you know, the bike has to be the, the priority. And because of the time limitations of, you know, most age groupers have, a lot of the focus goes into how do we improve a bike? And, you know, hopefully the others follow. Well, the others do follow. And obviously we don't forget about the others either. But we use a lot of our energy on ensuring that they're, they're getting the things that they, they definitely need to, to improve and to achieve their goals. Um, so, yeah, we go through that. And then we go, okay, so what A races have we got this year? And then we plan a, a macro cycle around them. So obviously each, you know, say you've got 12 months into your A race, you know, where does the base block uh, occur? What are we trying to achieve in that? What's the point of um, each micro cycle in there? And all the way through up to the A race, just just planning it out, really. And and then we when we move into the the shorter the, the micro cycles the the weeks and uh, perhaps months how how do you then if you have a you have a certain purpose for for a, let's say four week block uh, how mm-hmm. how do you then plan the the workouts within within that block and within the weeks in that block so um, I'd sit down with the athlete in a in a Skype call or or face to face if if possible and we go through okay. Um, I go through, these are the sessions I think you need to do. This is the reason you're doing these sessions. And this is how I'd like you to execute them. And then hopefully, you know, they follow through and they understand if they've got any questions or, you know, there's something they don't quite understand, then we, we go through that. But um, so each phase has an aim and it's just making sure the athlete knows the aim and, you know, the aim is clear to them so they can see what they're trying to achieve. And you you have talked about using uh, using process goals and and uh, you talked about priorities already. Yeah. But the pr- the process goals in in particular can uh, that's something that uh, I I found really fascinating when when we met to discuss that and and how you use them. And I'm starting to use that as well. Steal that idea okay. from you. Uh, so uh, so can you tell us about uh, how how you do that? So I probably didn't make it clear earlier on. So yeah, that um, so say the swimming, cycling, running, the free the free goals. They are process goals. So there are things that, you know, you're trying to achieve and tick off. Um, so say, like I said, the cycling is, is a priority. We go, okay, how can we ensure we definitely tick off these process goals and uh, improve on there? And then we move down to, to swimming. Um, okay, how do we improve these process goals? 
and and so on. And each block should be reflecting how achieving those process goals. I mean, if you're a beginner athlete, those process goals are going to hopefully tick off very quickly and you're going to have to come back again and go over some new process goals. If you're a more experienced athlete, you know, the odds are those process goals might take a bit longer to achieve. So just how do we how do we get to those process goals and achieving those processes so we can achieve our overall uh, aim? Because process goals allow us to measure progress. You can turn up to a race and say, you know, my goal is to win this race. Um, but if another athlete turns up and they are just genuinely better than you and you've done all you can, then you don't achieve that goal. So the process goals are what allows you to measure progress and to see, you know, I actually am improving and I can see I'm improving this way. And then hopefully, hopefully those process goals lead you to achieving your main goal. Um, and and if, if yeah. I understand correctly, sometimes those process goals are actually sort of outcome goals in that you want to achieve a certain improvement in pace or power. And sometimes it's more uh, more process-driven more and perhaps more subjective. Uh, so can you give some examples, basically, of, of what, they, what, what they might look like? So, yeah, um, for example, you know, obviously you've got to look at what race you're doing. So say you're doing an Olympic distance um, triathlon and it's draft legal, you would go, okay, um, I need to improve my swimming because, you know, I need to get around that boy. Cause I, cause I say your goal is to win the race. Um, you know, I need to get around the boy in the front pack, uh, because if I don't get in that front pack, I'm not going to win the race. So the first thing you go is, okay, what process goals do, can I work on and be realistic about that are going to allow me to do that? Um, so you go, okay, I need to swim a 420 or, you know, it's very fast, a four, a 430, 400. And okay, you go, okay, so what's limiting me here? So you go, okay, I need to improve my stroke mechanics. I need to improve the front end of my stroke. So you go, okay, how do I achieve the front end? How do I improve the front end of my stroke? What, what process goals do I, need to, do I need to go through there? And a process goal could be, you know, you're trying to catch more water using your forearm as a paddle instead of, instead of just your hand or, you know, you're trying to increase your cadence. So that they're the process goals, really. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, okay. and I think that one of the things that, that I want to highlight here is that one of the reasons that I think this is so valuable is that it actually makes the athlete think and yeah. uh, and reflect on, uh, on what their strengths and weaknesses and limiters are. And mm-hmm. then hopefully also reflect on that and, and have increased awareness of what they're doing in each and every workout. If, if it's the swim, for example, and improving that front end of the stroke, actually knowing that that's, uh, that's the key behind. We have reverse engineered their end goal of yep. getting to the boy in the front pack to actually I need to improve the the front end of my stroke, then that will be at uh, at the top of their mind when they are swimming and, and help them have execute a better session, be more aware yeah, yeah. In, in every single stroke and, and execute more more quality strokes simply in, in each and every swim workout. So that's that's one of the reasons that I think that this is uh, this is a brilliant way of uh, of yeah. doing things. Yeah I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It just you know it's every session being able to turn up and say, okay these are the goals I'm, I'm working towards and this is how this session is going to help me do that. So, you know, yep. yeah, if you turn up to a technique session, you're like, okay, so the point of this technique session is to improve the catch, my swim, swim on catch. Then you know what you're trying to achieve out of that session. You're not just endlessly swing up and down, achieving nothing. Yeah. I think perfect practice makes perfect. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Pra- yeah. Practice does not make perfect, but perfect no. practice does. Uh, so uh, what uh, then these are some sort of uh, rapid fire quick tips for the listeners uh, what would be your top pieces of advice for for age group athletes that want to improve first their swimming okay so to improve your swimming is to um so it's actually it depends on the level so beginners i think it's very important for beginners to have someone take a look at your stroke so take a look at your stroke and you know improve your technique because swimming is so limited by your technique for beginners to have to have that input is invaluable uh more advanced athletes it's really thinking about what you're doing in the pool and how you're making the most of your time and you know whether you can get that feel for the water and endurance with the time you have and what about biking so biking uh really quickly is uh just about the main the main thing is preparation and ensuring equipment is working so you, you wouldn't turn up to run injured every time so making sure that even if you know your saddle's too high you don't just keep forgetting about it you turn up and you know you actually do something about it instead of every session oh yeah my saddle's too high and then going home and forgetting if that makes sense so just yep, little yeah, things that, like that yeah yeah and uh running running uh the key thing to running for, for age group athletes i think is mobility and injury prevention which is 
definitely ignored quite a lot of the time. But that's, you know, that's what's going to help you improve. You need to improve your stride length and you need to improve the consistency that you have. Then you need to stay on top of the mobility and injury prevention. Uh, you know, definitely. This is another thing that I changed after after a meeting last week that I, I started to be much more diligent with my pre-run mobility routine. <laughs> so yeah. so th- thanks for that. And uh, what about uh, top tips for race day execution? Have a plan. Just ensure you have a plan going into it. So don't go into any race without without knowing what you want to get out of it and how you're going to achieve. Obviously, you know, plans can be fluid and, you know, that you can't be that detailed with it because, you know, it will depend on other things. But the more the more detailed you can be and the more the more the more of a plan you have, the better chance you have of achieving your aims instead of just turning up and <laughs> hoping for the best. And finally, top pieces of advice for overall triathlon improvement. Uh, overall triathlon improvement. So is it's like what I said earlier, is to have an idea of what you're trying to achieve in every session. Don't turn up to any session blind. What do you think are some common mistakes that uh, age group triathletes make and, and the most important, biggest mistake perhaps that uh, can be big improvements if, if we can remove those? So I think the biggest thing that stands out for me is you know, you, you sit down and you go, okay, I've got all this time available for training. You need to be honest with yourself and realistic about the time you have available. So, you know, if you're honest and realistic, the quicker you're honest and realistic, the quicker you can uh, actually start achieving your goals. Because if you go, you know, I've got, I've got 15 hours and in reality you have something like eight or nine, then it's, it's just, you know, being honest and realistic about yourself. If that makes sense. Yep. Absolutely. And, the time you have. and uh, in 2018 as we're wrapping up the year what is something that you learned first as an athlete and second as a coach so first is to take more ownership of you know i'm quite a uh experienced athlete now and british triathlon have something called uh athletes as leaders so it's just to take more ownership of you know how can i get the most out of my training and racing uh so that's more ownership of my program so i work alongside my coach and my coach is there more as an advisor um, but obviously that wouldn't work for every athlete. It's just having experience to be able to do that and know what works for me. And as a coach, it's just, you know, really be on the be on it with the communication with the athlete. Because if you're not on it with the communication, every athlete's different and you just gotta be honest with them and so they can be honest with you about what is holding them back. So really this communication is is definitely something that, you know, I've definitely picked up on in twenty eighteen because it's so important. Brilliant. And uh, let's uh, wrap up with some uh, rapid fire questions. Uh, actually, no, before we do that, <laughs> okay. we talked about this before the, before the call, but I forgot it already. But uh, just, uh, just to quickly recap, I'll probably talk about this in the intro or outro of the episode anyway. But, uh, but yes, so, so for those listeners that if or if I didn't mention it in the, in the intro, which is not recorded yet, obviously, uh, you are <laughs> coaching uh, already at Athletes under the Scientific Triathlon brand. And now we're just waiting to get the details up on the website. But, uh, but it, is, yeah. uh, it is official and, uh, and you're taking on Athletes. So, uh, so basically, can you, can you tell a little bit about how, how the coaching works for, for an athlete that might be interested in, in, uh, in signing up uh, with you for coaching? So I've got I've got some great athletes at the moment, but essentially, yeah, obviously looking to take on more athletes. So basically, just just get in touch and say we have a a non non obligation call. You know, up to forty five minutes in length. We go over everything. You know, how can I honestly help you? And how can you? Uh, how can you benefit from me helping you? Uh, from there, we go on to actually going forwards with it. So you know, starting have another session and go. Okay, this is how we're going to plan out your annual plan and just just go forwards from there if that makes sense so um after that it's bi-weekly meetings and you know unlimited communication really yeah yeah that that wraps it up really nicely and and i'm I'm sure that the listeners have understood that uh, like it's i think it's pretty clear from this interview how how much you 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 care about your athletes and uh, and how important it is uh, for you that they that they improve so uh yeah no i think that uh you've done a brilliant job so far i'm really looking forward to to 2019 coaching coaching alongside you and and learning together and improving together as coaches yep yeah the the rapid fire questions uh starting (laughs) with what's your favorite book blog or resource related to triathlon um i cheated here i've said people so the people i come across uh have definitely been more beneficial to me than any any triathlon book 
I've, I've ever read or blog. Obviously, your, your blog is amazing, though, Michael. And what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? Uh, my running shoes, because running just gives you that, that freedom and, you know, that, that ability to explore. And it's so easy to do. And what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Uh, resilient, resilience, I can say it, and creating chances. So uh, I have a habit of not giving up when something doesn't go my way and then just trying again. So probably helps along by being really competitive. Yeah, brilliant. All right. So uh, the listeners can uh, learn more about you on uh, scientifictriathlon.com and uh, click through to the coaching uh, page. And I'll try to have the details up by the time that this episode goes live. Obviously, it's Christmas times now and I'm traveling. So as, as we talked about before the interview, I'm like crazy, crazy busy, but I'll do my best to do that. Otherwise, uh, I will get it up very, very quickly and people can, can email any one of us. We can put both our emails on the show notes as well to okay. to learn learn more. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Any other well, social media? Uh, do, can people follow you on, on those accounts? Uh, How yeah, sure. So... Uh, just James underscore Teagle on Twitter, James Teagle on Instagram or Facebook. Um, really easy. Brilliant. Thank you so much, James. It was uh, a pleasure talking okay. to you as always. And you. Uh, have a good evening. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. Having known James for about a year or so now, I can say that, as always, the discussions I have with him are incredibly insightful and they make me really think about my coaching and they make me learn and uh, and make me grow as a coach. So, as mentioned in the interview and before, James is officially coaching for the Scientific Triathlon brand right now and uh, I hope that by the time this episode airs, I will have all the details on scientifictriathlon.com. I click through to the coaching page to see his coaching information. Uh, if it's not there, it will be there soon. And we have a, a PDF that we can send to you if you email me on michael at scientifictriathlon.com where his coaching CV already is. I want to talk a little bit about why I brought James on and not somebody else because there are thousands and thousands of coaches in the world, of course. And there are many reasons for this. But all of them have to do with uh, that we are so aligned in our core values and how we apply them in our coaching. We're very similar in in that way. And uh, as we found out, especially once we had uh, this uh, sort of coaching mastermind in, in London uh, a couple of weeks ago, that was really, really great to uh, to see that we we have so similar thoughts about coaching and, and how, we, how we go about it. Uh, so first of all, James cares so strongly for the athletes that he coaches and, and puts the athletes first. He has that, what I like to call, the give-a-damn factor. And, of course, every coach will say that they do this, but uh, to actually have it and uh, use it in practice is a different thing. And that's what I want this brand, I want Scientific Triathlon, to be associated with actually caring and having that translate to actions in, in our coaching. And James does this fantastically well. Uh, I know this since he has been coaching since uh, since early 2018, uh, coaching free scientific triathlon athletes. So uh, he is somebody who really takes it to the next level. Unfortunately, today, it is very easy to just provide template training plans to, to any athlete and, uh, and package that as individual coaching. It happens, unfortunately, quite a lot in the industry. And uh, that is uh, something that goes completely against caring for the athlete and treating the athlete as an individual, putting the athlete first. Uh, James is uh, somebody who would never do that. And uh, that's something that uh, any coach that would coach uh, under this brand that I want to have that quality in. So so caring for the athletes and putting the athletes first is the primary reason. Second, great communication. We talked about that quite a lot. That's uh, the number one thing that is needed in a good coach-athlete relationship. And a lot of people that come to us for coaching, they come, especially if they come from from already having been in a previous coaching relationship, they come for this very reason. They may have a coach currently or have had one in the past, and that coach gives them a training plan, but uh, it's uh, more or less just that. They, they just get a training plan, but they have limited interaction, limited ability to actually learn how to execute training, both in the day-to-day, on a day-to-day basis, in the workouts, and also long-term, how to think about that. They don't have that back and forth, the discussion with the coach, whether it's an email conversation or a phone call or a Skype call, 
where they can really grow and uh, as an athlete and get better every single day in how they execute their training. That that is one of the first when when an athlete comes from another coaching relationship to us, that is almost always the thing that they're missing. So that's some another thing that I want us to stand out with, having great communication and making it that a first priority, which it should be, it has to be. Otherwise, it's not a coaching relationship, really. The third reason is that coaching, just like training, is a process. Uh, you're never done. You just need to consistently, day in and day out, do the job, work on improving and evolving constantly. You're never done. It's never perfect. We make mistakes. We fail. But we just get up and do it all again and try to improve next time. It takes a really special mindset to to be able to do that. As you know, as a triathlete, you have that, that same kind of mindset. But I think this is something that I really, really admire in James as well. How competitive and driven and ambitious he is. And uh, and that is something that, that drives that competitive nature and the ambition that's... Uh, uh, that that translates into a will to constantly improve as a coach. And I really don't remember when I last met another person that I felt that uh, this is a guy that's actually more more competitive and more ambitious than myself. Uh, but uh, James is that for sure. And when you're built that way, it just means that you will never settle. You'll always want to do things better. And that's what I want our coaching to be like, always striving to be do things even better than than we have been doing. And finally, as you heard in the interview, James has a wealth of knowledge from being a world-class athlete himself, being surrounded by other world-class athletes and world-class coaches, of course. A sports science degree doesn't hurt either, but I want to be very clear that there are a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge. But if you don't have that give a damn that I talked about and, and the will to constantly learn and improve, then you won't be a good coach. So so those things are a whole lot more important than anything that you can learn in, in a book. It's also very important to remember that uh, textbook knowledge, if you want to call it that, that always is way behind the best coaching practices that is evolved and uh, developed in the field. Uh, world-class coaches throughout history of, of coaching and athletics have been developing methods that then much, much later on have been proven effective somehow. But the coaches have just found ways that work. So being in a high-performance environment that uh, gives a window into what uh, the best athletes in the world are doing day in and day out. And that is very, very valuable knowledge, much more valuable than anything that can be taught in a textbook. So to wrap up, I guess... Uh, Again, coming back to what I see and hear, for example, when talking with athletes who come to me from from a different coach, uh, it, it's that basically most of the time, the reason that they are switching coaches is because they don't get the commitment and the communication that they want and need and, and should be getting from a coach. Because again, otherwise they might just get a training plan and they don't need the coaching. There's no lack of options for coaching out there, as I'm sure that anybody who has typed triathlon coaching into Google will know. And uh, a whole lot of them are really, really, really knowledgeable and really good. So, so I believe, from what I've seen, that the biggest gap in the marketplace in triathlon coaching, for age group athletes in particular, maybe not so much for the elites, it's it's the level of care, the level of commitment, and the level of individualization and communication that the athletes get. And those are the core values that we want to build our coaching on, that we do build our coaching on every single day. A lot of our time in London was spent discussing these very things because 90% of our athletes' success, they will come from just getting these basic things right and doing these basic things really, really well. All of the other details, it's just icing on the cake. It's just details. And I think it's very, very important to understand that. James has slots available to take on more athletes, as you heard. So again, go to that coaching page on scientifictraffle.com to learn more uh, or just contact us directly and uh, we can set up uh, a no obligations call so that you can see if it's a good fit for you. Just for your information, uh, I do not have slots available. Uh, I do have a waiting list. So it is possible to get on my waiting list and get first dibs for when a slot opens up. But do not wait for that. Just uh, get on a call with James, see if it's a good fit for you. 
keep in mind that uh, every month that you're without a coach, that's another month that you're probably training much less effectively than you could be doing and getting less out of your training than you could be getting. So uh, it's it's like saving for retirement every year that you're not saving for retirement. That's uh, that's another year that you're wasting the potential compound interest that you could be getting from from that retirement saving. And both James and I, of course, we put our money where our mouth is. We have coaches ourselves, and it it is just insane the value that a good coach can can bring to your training. So contact us if you are interested in that and want to learn more. In next week's Monday episode, which is uh, on New Year's Eve, I interview Simon Wegerif on heart rate variability. And I promise I'll check how to pronounce his last name because I'm not quite sure at the moment. I haven't done the interview yet at the time of this recording. Uh, The topic is heart rate variability and how it can be applied to measuring total load. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you are not already subscribed so that you don't miss any new episodes like that. I think it will be a really good one. Of course, in the meantime, on Thursday, we will have another Q&A episode, so do not miss those either. And remember to send in your questions if you want to have them answered on Thursday Q&A episodes. Big thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. That's R-O-K-A.com. You can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code show, all one word, all caps. And a big thank you to Stack that you can find on stackzero.com. That's S-T-A-C, zero spelled out, dot com. Uh, you can get your next bike trainer for 20% off with the promo code show, all one word, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlons.